Well, we're going to bring up Beck Easton, old Biz Beck at. He's going to come on up. We're going to pray. And this is just a joy in my life. And at the crossing, at the heart, heartbeat of what we are, is we want to love God. That, again, propels us to love others and, and make disciples. And, and Beck and I have known each other probably for now going on 15 years. I met him when he was just a little shaver uh, about 15 years ago in college. Actually, he's about the same size, but he's still a little shaver, right? Um, but, yeah, he's a man that I got to spend a lot of time with. Uh, I got to pour my life into him. I got to, uh, we got to baptize you. We, uh, you know, it's just been a joy to see um, a guy like Beck who's a big man, but he has a big heart for Jesus. And um, we're going to be blessed as he opens up God's word. Um, and so we're going to pray, and then Beck's going to lead us. We're going to be in uh, Galatians chapter 5 today, and we're we'll begin looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit that he's going to cover is the fruit of love. So let me pray for Beck, and then we'll get right into it. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, this day. Lord, I, I just love when we are singing songs to you. And we're just acknowledging what your word tells us, that uh, the gospel is true. That you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life in our place, a life that we could not live but were called to live. That you died on the cross to make payment, atonement for our sin. That you rose again on the third day. And the doors that you have opened the doors that for people to cross over from death to life for those that repent and trust in your son, Jesus. Lord, that is why we rejoice. That is the foundation of our rejoicing this morning. And Lord, we can have peace like a river because of that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just continue to uh, lead, guide, and direct us uh, through the worship of your word this morning. Lord, your word informs us. Lord, we are empowered, led, and guided by your spirit. And I pray that you use your, your servant, uh, Beck, that uh, you would increase in his words and that we would decrease. That we would see our lives um, by the gospel. In the chaos that is outside, you are not a God of chaos, but you are a God of order. And that order comes because you are the Son of God who rescued us from the sins of this world by your life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, that's why we rejoice today. And so Lord, may you lead us by your Spirit and the fruit of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And amen. Well, hello, church. I'm going to get kind of set up here because, like Aaron said, I'm a big fella, but I'm also a clumsy fella, and I will break something. As you can see here, I forgot my water bottle, so like any good dad, I stole my son's, and that will just sit up here as a reminder to us, to us all. Okay, the, 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 the title of the sermon is Joy, and I'm going to say a word here, and I mean it in the truest sense. I am overjoyed to be up here and with you. The overcoming from all the different people that are here and how hard you had to work and the things you had to do and the masks you had to make to be able to work to get here this morning is truly helpful. I'm also overjoyed because, I don't know about you, I can't, not, I can't stand the mask thing, and this was the only way to come to church and not have to wear it. So I'm preaching for that purpose only. You know, this, uh, a couple days ago I had asked the worship team to consider that last song uh, we sung just before the break, the It Is Well With My Soul. I just, I love that song. It's so meaningful to me in a lot of deep personal ways, but it has a great history too. A guy by the name of H.G. Spafford was a businessman and a lawyer in the Chicago area in the, in the 1870s, and he wrote that song. 
Well, my favorite part about that is that he was not a seminarian. He wasn't a lawyer or, or a priest or some famous author, Pulitzer Prize winner. He was a layman. He was a working man. He was a man. He was a person like you and I. And it just reminds me that it doesn't take a great preacher or a famous person to do something wonderful for the Lord in the earth. All over the world today, that song is being sung in homes and in churches, and it came from one of God's own. And it's just a, it's just a good reminder. But I'd like you to keep that story in your mind because I'd like to reference it in, uh, in just a few minutes. Okay, I title my sermons. I know this is weird for us, but I'm going to, I'm going to read it now. Today, uh, today's sermon is called Joy, a study in the awareness of God's grace. And as we've been talking about, we're going through the fruit of the Spirit. Last week, Daniel opened us up. And so what I would do, if we could just briefly stand so I could read this super short uh, scripture, and then we'll jump right in. We don't need to pray, but I do want to stand for this part because this is the scripture we are honoring for the next couple weeks. It comes out of Galatians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 22. It's uh, just two verses, so you're going to sit right back down. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Thanks for honoring the Word with me in that way. You go ahead and sit down. Aha! Okay. I want to talk briefly about what Daniel did last week just so we can jump into the sermon. But uh, kiddos, I need you all to listen to me. This young lady, I have scoured the, the deep trenches of the internet for a picture that would represent to me what joy looks like. And so, uh, because I'm a parent and I know just the sanctifying work that it is to bring a young person into a church... Parents, you have to buy into this with me. I'm going to help you. On the back of your note page, kiddos, you're going to see a song. We're not going to sing the whole song, but we are going to learn just a part of that song. It's titled, I've Got the Joy. So this is how this is going to work. This is our reminder for you today. Kids, I need you to stand up. All the kiddos stand up. Even parents who feel like they're kiddos stand up. Very good. I knew one would come. So this is how this is going to work. Whenever you see this picture, I'm going to say these words. I've got the joy, 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 joy. And you're going to sound out as loud as you can. Look how cool I am. I'm the person that says you get to be loud at church. You're going to say, down in my heart. Let's try it. Let's try it. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Great. Then we're going to do one more part. Well, as soon as you say down in my heart, we're going to, parents, you can help me with this. You're going to say where, and you're going to say the same thing again, and then just put a yeah at the end. So you'd say down in my heart. Yeah. This is the best part. You ready? I know you're ready. When you say yeah, I want you to do your best interpretation of this picture up here. Okay. Want to try it? I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Yeah. Does it look like it at all? Okay, now sit back down. You've had your moment. We'll see if she can come back again. Kids, when you get in the car, you'll learn this song, and you can sing it over and over and over. 
told you I was going to help you. Okay, let's offer some context to the passage in here uh, that we're studying for the next few weeks so that we can make sure we stay in proper guidelines. Here's some points that Daniel made last week that I think are helpful reminders for us not only this week, but in the weeks to come as we uh, go through the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a fruit, not fruits. I know it's a list in the Bible, but it is not a list of priority or order. These are a collective set of words that help describe what the fruit of the Spirit is. The second, the fruit of the Spirit produces a desire for godliness and good deeds. When you become a Christian, the Bible says that you receive the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does not, in that moment, make you this like sinless angel. You and I both know that to be true. It gives you a desire, if I would say a way where there was previously no way, to do true good in the earth because we are in part and indwelled in the life of Christ. But we have a work to do. In other words, we got to work at this. These are, the Spirit of the Spirit, are characteristics of sanctification. Here's my concern whenever we talk about the Spirit anything. We get into this kind of ooey-gooey, invisible, pie-in-the-sky thinking. These characteristics are grounded and rooted in reality. In other words, they can be produced in the real tangible world we live in. And we must hold ourselves accountable to those things. And lastly, it is dependent upon the Spirit. There's a tension created in the Scripture. God needs to do the work. You have work to do. And we see that bracketed in Galatians chapter 5 when Paul says in verse 16 that we should walk by the Spirit. Not that we would walk like hand in hand romantically with the Spirit, but that we would be led by the Spirit. After he offers the fruit of the Spirit, the list we saw in 22 and 23, he finishes in verse 25 by saying the same thing, that you would be led by the Spirit and walk that way. And so we want to do the same together. Okay, now that we've talked about the Spirit, I want to talk about the Word. I was reading a book many years ago when I just first became a Christian, right when I met Aaron. It was called Mere Christianity. If you've read the book, raise your hand. Read it again. It's so good. And there was a point in the book where C.S. Lewis, the author of the book, is, is describing how we've, oh, we've redefined words so many times that they've lost their value. In the Example that he gave, I don't exactly remember what he was referencing, but he talked about the word gentleman. Did you know that in the original context, the word gentleman was referring to somebody of royalty? You had a lineage that had a royal kind of bloodline within it. You were called a gentleman. Here's what I mean. You could be a total jerk and a gentleman, and it wasn't a contradiction. Now, gentlemen should carry a certain set of qualities. Maybe they should be polite, charming, kind. And so these words started to get mixed in the pot with the word gentleman. And over time, like a good long game of telephone, the word gentleman has come out on the other side, meaning something that we already had words for. And it's useless. We do the same thing with the word joy. We throw, because it's hard to define. We throw it in the pot with like happiness and good and cheerful. And then like a raffle ticket in our language, we just pull one of those words out and slap it in our sentence because we think to ourselves, they all kind of mean the same thing. They are similar. The scripture would tend to that too. But I'm here to tell you this morning that they are not the same thing entirely. If I asked you to define the word joy, could you? In the Greek... 
the root word for joy is related to the root word for grace. And so here's how we're going to define joy today according to the word joy in the context of Galatians 5. You might want to write this down if you're a writer. Look, writer, first row lady, I like you, you get an A. Joy is an awareness of God's grace in your life. I'll say it again. Joy is an awareness of God's grace in your life. This joy is not the kind of joy that ebbs and flows like the crashing waves on the surface of an ocean. This is the joy that comes from the Spirit that is deep down in the ocean floor. It's the unmovable, unshakable, dense joy that we experience. There are many types of joys. You can define them many ways, but today we are going to be talking about the deep joy of the Spirit. Okay, here's my aim. I wrote it down so I don't mess it up. It's a long sentence. Bear with me. Ready? Today we set out to realize the immeasurable depths of joy we have hidden for us in the life of Christ. And to be reminded this morning of the enduring quality of joy the Spirit of God provides the redeemed soul. Okay, so this is how we're going to do that. I want to investigate four areas of focus that if we would focus them on them in our lives, we would see a sanctifying work and a growth in the joy of the Spirit. There's like, I don't know, 10 bazillion different words we could associate, but today in the context of time that we're in, and in this day and age in our nation, I want to relate to four only. Here they are. Presence, assurance, contentment, and suffering. These are the four areas of focus that I believe will help us grow in the joy that the Spirit is speaking of when we regard, in regard to fruit of the Spirit. Oh no, here we go. We got to do this real fast. Kids, stand up. Here's your moment. You get to be loud. Everybody ready? I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Yeah. You get like a C minus. I need improvement. Okay, let's, let's really get into it here. The first word is presence. Psalm 1611. It's on the screen uh, for those of you that are like me and can't pay attention to anything for more than like 11 seconds. You make known to me the path of life. In your present, their presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The first area of focus to help us grow in our awareness of God's grace and to cultivate the joy that the Spirit brings is His presence. Why do we have a joy unspeakable deep in the depths of our soul? Because He is with us. Because He is here. Presence is an important theme in the Scripture. I mean, presence begins in Genesis, and then the presence and relationship with the Lord even concludes, bookends it in the end of Revelation. There is a sense that we all know, and Christians we hold to this, that God's omnipotent, omnipotent, tint, sorry, words are hard. He's always, always everywhere. He's everywhere at the same time. But that is a different understanding than saying he is also here with you now. The Spirit of God has more understanding of your pain, your struggle, your suffering, and your sorrow than any person you've ever met. He can relate to us in a deeper and more intimate way than anybody else can. Presence is described by the Lord's ever-present, intimate nearness to those He has called 
to himself. We can be overjoyed because he is with us. Now, there's this poem we've all heard before. It's, I don't even know what it's called. It's a story of a man walking on a beach, and there's two sets of footprints, and one's his, and one's God. And when he's struggling, he laments with God, saying, I was all by myself. And the Lord responds, actually, I was carrying you. And it's a good point. And I'm not here to argue with anybody that likes the poem. But I would say, scripturally speaking, a piggyback ride from Jesus is not the measure of intimacy he's looking for. That was funnier when I wrote it in my basement. Instead, we see the scriptures describe over and over and again about us being in Christ. The scripture says that Jesus is a strong tower. It says that he's, or the Lord is a strong tower, that he is a refuge. It says that he's a dwelling in a cliffside. These are things that we have to be in to reap the benefits of. Could you imagine seeing the fiery arrows from the devil raging past you and you're holding on to the outside? You're getting a piggyback from this fortress. Hold me, hold me, hold me. It's not working. Instead, the scripture says that we win by faith. We rely or we move away from our own dependence and trust in the Lord for his saving work and grace in our life, that we would enter into the joy of his salvation and we would receive this refuge forever in him, that we are in Christ. I'm going to read a long set of scripture here, but I think it's important. The scriptures tell us that when we're walking through the life of Christ that we are placed in him. If you want to, turn to Ephesians 1, chapter 1. We're going to be in here a lot. Uh, This is an impactful set of scripture for me, and I think it could help us when we think about presence with the Lord. Ephesians 1, verse 3. I'm going to read a long text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons of jesus christ according to the purpose of his will verse six to the praise of his gracious pardon me glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through this blood Scripture even takes it a step further. Not only, according to the Spirit, are we in Him, but He is in us. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, present. Christ in you, Colossians 1.27, the hope of glory. Romans 8, if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. We are in Christ, and he is in us, and we can have joy because he's not going anywhere. We can directly relate our nearness to God and our joy in him. I think that the devil, in many ways, has whittled the distractions of this world and uses them as weapons against us as we get distracted by things like Our finances, or the news, or TV, or our Netflix agenda, or our body image. And there can be times in your life and mine when days and maybe weeks or months go past and you have not considered the saving work of Christ in your life. We haven't brought him to our mind. The scripture says over and over again, remember, remember the Lord. And when we do this, we tend to drift away, if you will, from this present relationship 
with Christ. Now, your salvation is locked. It is rock solid by the promise of the Lord. But there are times when we depart from the life of Christ on this side of heaven because we get distracted by other things. Here's a key application. Here's a helpful tool, a question you can ask yourself to help focus your life back on the work of Christ in your, in your own life. It's a question that a pastor in town asked me many, many years ago, and I've held to it to this day. Here's, here's how it goes. What's your position in Christ? That's your position. If somebody asks you your political opinion on a matter at hand, you can spout off what you've heard and regurgitated from the news or maybe a quick snippet from an article, or you could ask yourself, my position is in Christ what would he say about the matter? As we consider our stress and focus with family and where we want to be and where we're going, when we feel distant from God, may you ask yourself, what's my position? In Christ would be your answer. It's been a helpful tool for me for many years to kind of focus back in. If we aim to mature in the joyful fruit of the Spirit, we must also remember always our position in Christ to be present with him. Okay, assurance. There's four, and you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do, and I think this is it. Assurance in Romans uh, chapter 8 and 38 and 39 says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second area of focus to help you grow in your awareness of God's grace and cultivate the joy of the Spirit in your life is assurance. Why do we have a joy unspeakable? Because we're going to heaven, and you can bank on that. I'm gonna, I told the crew I wasn't going to cry, and now I'm getting emotional. I'm a big guy with a big heart. Aaron told you, so just be warned. We get to spend an eternity with a Father, and it doesn't depend on us. Amen. Back to Ephesians 1, there's a, a doctrine that I think could be in your tool belt that's just a helpful reminder as we think about our assurance. It's called the doctrine of adoption, and it's one of my favorites. I've, I've, I've like drunk and drunk deep of this doctrine before to help me through difficult times. Back in Ephesians 1, in verse 4 and 5, it says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Heaven is for real, heaven is forever, and heaven is an assurance based on His work. We were separate from God in every way. And there was many things that He had to do in order to bring us to a possibility of justification and redemption. And one of the things was we had, to, we had separated ourselves from the family. We were estranged from God, and He had to purchase us and make us His own. There's this wonderful story in the book of Revelation uh, near the end, there's, or in the beginning, pardon me, of the, of the end of the Bible, beginning of the book. We clear? There's this great, uh, it says a, like, a, like a lake of glass, and there's this large throne, and the Lord is upon the throne, and he's holding a scroll, and all of these elders are weeping and mourning because this scroll is essentially the deed to the earth. It is to all time. It's to everything. And nobody is able or worthy to open the scroll. And then out of nowhere, enter Jesus. The scripture would say it is a lamb standing as if slain. The lamb of God resurrected after being slain. And he is worthy to take the scroll and he opens it up. Essentially, his work purchased the deed to all of creation. 
It is His kingdom, and we are His children. This is an assurance, a a rock of our faith that is not moving or wavering, and we can hold ourselves to it. Our salvation, as you might say, is steadfast, but our assurance may wane. Some of you in here maybe struggle, like you haven't come to church for a few months. Maybe you're dealing with a personal sin that you know in the secret part of your life is just happening over and over and over. Maybe you're struggling with some sort of doctrinal issue. You're listening to lies of false religions and they're starting to creep in and sound like truth. Maybe the lie has creeped in over time where you're thinking to yourself, am I really saved? Am I saved? And assurance can be held fast or encouraged by this idea of the doctrine of adoption. We are his own. He is our father. But I think it can be helpful with another line of questioning. Sometimes when I'm in trouble and I need to walk myself through kind of a catechism of call and response back to what I know to be true, questions are helpful. The question would be this. Can God lie? you got to answer that. Because I believe, and it is said in the Scripture, that the Lord has placed, can do all things, but He has placed a law above Himself. He's incapable of lying because He doesn't allow it of Himself, and He cannot break His promise. If God cannot lie, we have to ask ourselves, did God write the Word of God that sits in your lap? Did He use the Spirit to work through men to create an eternal and perfect word. If your answer is yes to the first and to the second question, you must then conclude that the scripture you hold in your hand doesn't tell a lie, not a single one. And that we can hang our hat on it, we can bank on it, we can press our weight into it by faith, we can lean on it for answers. And that word says, if you are in faith, if you have given your life over to Jesus, you are sons and daughters of the Most High King. And we can have our assurance in that way. Spurgeon would say, don't trade the joy of the Lord for superstition. Don't say things like, well, I hope, or I'm trusting. Instead, be permitted, as you are in the Scripture, to say, I'm sure, and I know. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things to come, or things to pass, or height, nor depth, or bulldozers, or coronavirus, or anything at all can separate you and I who are in Christ from the love of Christ. Nothing can take that away. And there is a reason on bad days to have an astounding, deep-seated joy because we have our assurance in Him. Oh, here we go again. Parents, this is the last one. I'm just going just to tip my hand and let you know. Let's stand up one last time. One last time. You get to be loud. I, want, I need to see this better this time. Are you ready? I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Ah. Ah. All right. Pretty good. We might have to sneak another one in there just for, just for grins here. The fourth one or pardon me, the third of four focus areas for joy being cultivated in your life by the Spirit. Contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. For I have learned in whatever situation what I I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance 
and need. The third area of focus for a joy unspeakable is contentment. Contentment means to be at peace with our circumstance. It means freedom from worry. Here's the best part. It means to be satisfied in God. More specifically so, to be satisfied in God for what He has not done for you. Trust me, my friends, the list is far shorter than what he has. Paul shares this piece of wisdom we see to the church in Philippi, and he's in a jail cell, and he goes on to basically explain this, this idea. The enemy of contentment is comparison. We have a sin so deeply ingrained in our Western culture that forces us to look to the left and to the right and to keep up with the Joneses and to have the newer and the better and to show the update and on and on it goes. I've even found myself struggling uh, with my time in the Lord that I would be worthy enough to take this pulpit because there's some like giant men in the faith preaching from this thing every week. And I'm thinking, oh no. Everyone's going to walk away like, wow, who is that guy? I hope they don't bring him up again because I'm not as good. Do you see how I'm lost in my own contentment? How I lose joy? It's a robber of what the Spirit is trying to do with small thoughts like that. The secret to contentment is a big word. Four letters meaning a big thing. Trust. Do you trust your Father? If you have the presence of salvation and the assurance of a kingdom to come, can you have a trust in the Lord that says, I'm okay with where I am because what I got coming is a lot better? We tried to do this with our kid. Our kids. One of them can't quite talk yet. Uh, Little Samuel over there. We call him Bear. We go through this little process when he and I are together where he wants something and I'm not going to give it. I say, Samuel, say, I'm content. And he has to repeat it back to me. I'm not trying to like brainwash my kid to just say what I want him to say. We're trying to instill at a young age that he can trust his father for what he gives and what he doesn't. And that we can be at peace with where we are. So that someday he wouldn't continue to trust me, that's not a good idea. But that he would learn and have an ability, an exercised muscle, so to speak, to be able to trust the father of us all. And to be content. Do you trust your Father in heaven? I, I've, I've gone back to this verse in my own writings because it's so common. It's on every Hallmark card when it says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your not, uh, not on your own understanding. Wonderful verse. Amazing verse. Well used but misunderstood. It's a, it's a question of kinds. Have you, have you really searched your soul for the answer to that question? Because I'm telling you, folks, it's kind of hit or miss with me. Moment by moment, I get so dependent on just getting up earlier and staying up later. And I'm an American and bootstraps and on and on and on. I'm big and strong and I'll just get it done. And every time I fall short. I fall short, maybe I get the job done. But I fall short in an entirely different and more eternal way. I've fallen short because I've lost my contentment in the Lord and I've used anxiety and aggression and my own personal energy to keep me afloat in an ocean that the Lord already says He is going to keep us buoyant. We have to be in any and every circumstance 
Like Paul says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. And that is contentment in Christ. Here's some quote questions for you uh, to consider. Are you so focused on the future that you've left the joy of today behind already? Are you harboring frustration for the Lord for what He has not done in your life or your past? Second, or 1 Timothy 6.6 6 would say to you, but godliness, my friend, with contentment is great gain. Focus on contentment. Spend time meditating and praying on this aspect of your life, and I guarantee you, anxiety will diminish and joy will increase. Not because I'm your psychiatrist, but because the Spirit of God is at hand in your mortal body. If we aim to consistently be joyful in the fruit of the Spirit, we must also maintain a trusting contentment in the Father of all. Okay, here's the last one. The four of four. You guys have done a good job. Kids, you're holding strong. Except for you. That was a joke. <laughs> Suffering. Hebrews 12, 1, and, 1 through 12. This is 1 and 2, but the whole passage is worthwhile to read. Paul is saying, or the writer of Hebrews, pardon me, is saying, for the joy set before him, he, the Lord, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Suffering, suffering cultivates joy maybe like nothing else in the earth. It's an important aspect of our worship. And everything in your flesh begs you to deny it and evade it and step sidestep it at all costs. Think about this. Did you know that suffering is a form of worship that you can offer to the Lord on this side of heaven that you can't on the other? Because there, in that kingdom, justice will be perfect. It will be. Masks will never be needed again. Racism is eradicated. <laughs> Every tear is wiped away. We have no opportunity on that side of heaven to endure for the Lord and for His sake. Philippians says... Uh, in, in chapter 1, verse uh, 20 and 21. It is my eager expectation and hope that you will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always in Christ, you, or Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, because to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We can have a joy unspeakable in the depths of our soul because not even death has a sting. Grave doesn't get to win. Paul's saying to the Philippian church that the only way for suffering really to end in our life is for our life to end. But he would assure us that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, church, we can't lose. Wouldn't it be great to go to an athletic competition of one kind or another with an absolute guarantee of victory? Yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it might be painful. My, it, the score might not even look the way it should, but we win in the end. Suffering for the sake of Christ should specifically be valued amongst all the believing church, for it is the enduring quality and the example of Christ. 
Paul, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. So let's kind of dig into this for a minute. We got some time. How do you reconcile true lament? I'm talking the, the, the hard, hard stuff in your life and the joy that the Spirit offers at the same time. My wife and I, we've had horrible things like miscarriages. Or you've read in history like absolute atrocities happen and injustices to people of one kind or another. You in this very room have faced pain and burden that you don't even want to utter out loud. In those times, why is it fair that the Lord would ask for, for joy in our soul from us? I'm not talking about the, the, the outside joy. We, we can have a joy that goes away. It comes in the morning. But I'm talking the eternal joy that the fruit of the Spirit produces. Here's my example. Here's what I would ask you to look to. To the example of Christ himself. Can you picture the Lord in in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's praying. His sweat is turning into blood because he's in anguish over the decision he has to make. But you'll notice when the prayer is over and the Lord rises up from that garden, his tears are done. His lament is over with. Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We put, I got a cross on my neck. We put crosses in our stained glass windows. We see crosses today as a sign of hope. I assure you, church, back then it was a sign of destruction and despair. It was a horrible thing. Misunderstood by the common church today because it's, so, it's been so redeemed by the Lord. It was not cool then. But for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy of His church, His, his people of you and me, of the kingdom that would be given, of the Father that would be pleased in eternity. These are things that we can cling to when we are in our greatest moment of suffering and despair. This is the testimony to the earth of the different lifestyle of the Christian. Not because they wear button-up shirts and don't say curse words and stay out of liquor stores, but because when, when the rubber really meets the road of their life, they have something they can cling to that allows them to endure beyond their physical capabilities. Your life is not about how well you survive. It's not whether we, we avoid pain or not, or whether we keep ourselves from despair of drug abuse or maybe other sinful habits. Those things are fine and good but how we would have a joy set before us and endure for the sake of the Lord. This is the reward that is given to us in eternity. Let me show you. A reward in heaven. And a a reward in heaven for you and I beyond salvation. Did you know of that in the Scripture? Let Let me give you something to have hope in and to be joyful of. James 1 and 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life. Matthew 5.12 Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must appear before the Lord of judgment 
so that each day each one may receive what is due to him for what he has done in the body whether good or evil you are saved by faith but the operation in the grace of the lord but the operation of your faith in your day-to-day life the enduring and suffering the joy that you show the earth the lord says there is reward for you in heaven gifts something to work for something to have hope in i mean salvation's enough heaven's enough the lord is a giver of beyond and that we can cling to that in our time of need our salvation is sealed by the spirit as a promise and a down payment for what christ has done on the cross but it is the only be- it is only the beginning of what the scripture promises to those who are faithful on this side of heaven last scripture then we're going to tell a quick story we'll be almost done Romans 5 and 3 through 5. Paul says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put it to shame, because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have His presence and we have an assurance in the Gospel. We can be content because of who He is and all that He has promised. And we can endure in suffering with great joy that shares a message to the world of who God is in glory and receives eventually for us gifts in heaven. This is a good deal, man. So let's put all these together for one quick story. We've got about two minutes left. Can we hold on? Okay, here we go. I call this the lock urn collision. Remember HG, the it is well with my soul, the businessman, the lawyer, the layman. What I didn't tell you is that in 1873, in the summer of 1873, there was the Chicago fire, the great Chicago fire. It burned down three quarters of Chicago. This man lost a four-year-old son, his business rental uh, operation, and his law practice was decimated due to the fire. His wife, on top of it all, was inconsolable. In his grief, he said, we need to leave the city. We need to get to Europe. We need to spend time away and be before the Lord and figure out what our next move is. We need to escape. The last moment before they left on the trip, he had to stay back because a potential business offering was at hand, and in their time of great need, he had to work it through. So his four beautiful daughters and his wife left the tall H.G. Spatford with his wispy pulled-back hair and his thin-rimmed glasses to set on a sailing ship to leave from New York over to England. And in the North Atlantic in November of that same year, a tote ship from Ireland as a part of a large company called the Lock Urn in rough seas came out of nowhere and collided with the ship with the Spadfords on it. In 12 minutes, the ship sank. Three days later, H.G. is in his office and he receives a telegram from his wife in Europe who said, survived alone. In his absolute despair, He set sail to get to his wife to just mourn and lament with her. 
And as they're crossing in the North Atlantic, the whispers and the rumors from the deck start to grow as people were saying, this is the place where the shipwreck happened. With his four daughters entrapped in the ocean floor below and a deep grief in his heart, he found way, a way to access the joy of the Spirit. And while crossing that area of the ocean, it is believed that he penned this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. You can bank on one thing I say today. The lock urn collision in your life has happened or it's coming again. It's just a part of the broken world, the Genesis 3 world, as we would say here, that we live in. My prayer is that we would be a body of people that would gird ourselves in the truth of the Lord, that would hold fast to the contentment and presence and assurance that He offers, and that we would look at suffering and not be an American people that try to sidestep it, but say, bring it on. Because death will have no sting and grave no victory. Let's pray. Lord, we just... um, We're just, we're overwhelming this morning with gratitude, at least I am. Gratitude, Lord, not for just the houses we have and the cars that we enjoy and the friends that we can spend time with and the restaurants that are opening and the country that we live in and the church that we attend, but we have had a satisfaction and in a gratitude for the sake and truth and power of your gospel in our lives, for the saving work of your Son, and for the redemption that you have so freely offered us all. It's for that reason, Lord, that we say thank you yet again this morning, that we ask you to prepare us for whatever we may have to endure or overcome. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people committed, focused on on the sanctifying work of the fruit of the Spirit so that you may be glorified now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.